Our first reading comes from Revelation chapter 4, verses 6 to 11. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives for ever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives for ever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. As I mentioned earlier as well, when I saw that I was preaching on Trinity Sunday, I was of course met with a feeling of challenge, but also a feeling of of great intrigue and excitement. It's one of the greatest mysteries that we face as Christians, one of the most difficult things to understand. One God, three persons, God, the Father, Son and Spirit. And as I said earlier, as I started to think about an illustration that I could use to represent the Trinity, I found it more and more difficult to comprehend and to think of one. Some would try and explain the Trinity using something like water, which can be liquid, solid and gas. Sometimes you can even see them all there, right next to each other, maybe in an ice cube tray that's melting, the solid ice, the liquid water that's just forming on top, and perhaps that little bit of steam and the gas that's just coming off. But that's three in one container. It's never quite three in one, for sure. At any one time, every water molecule has to either be gas, solid, or liquid. But God is not three in one container. He is three in one. Full stop. All Father, all Son, all Spirit, all God. To think about this more, I want to look at our reading from Revelation this morning. The beginning of Revelation follows this pattern where we see, we first hear the introduction from the writer John, the same John who wrote the Gospel. Then we hear what has happened to him and that he's had this vision of Christ. We then see the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, the words of Jesus given to us through John, building up the work of those churches, but also calling them to correct some of their ways. And after those, we come to chapter 4, and we come to this scene of the throne room. In the centre of the room, a mighty throne, upon which is seated the one true God. Around him are 24 elders, 
representing the people from every tribe on earth. And before the throne are the seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And when we see the number seven in Revelation, it relates to the completion and completeness, fullness, wholeness. So here are these seven spirits, and it's showing that spirit that is God, the complete, whole, perfect spirit of God. Then we join our reading as we see those four living creatures. Now in Revelation, the number four, and there's a lot of symbolic numbers in Revelation, but the number four, when used in this way, is representing the four corners of the earth. In this case, the four creatures are the whole of creation from all four corners of the earth. And when they are before the throne, we hear, night and day, without ceasing, what do they do? They praise God, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever they do this, the 24 elders cast their crowns down before God. They fall down and worship and say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So let me ask you this. How many of us have a preconceived image of heaven? How many of those images involve clouds and involve you seeing our loved ones again, spending time with them, strolling through meadows and having an abundance of all the things you love, like your favourite food and drink, your favourite clothes, beautiful cars, jewels. But what if I was to tell you that None of these will matter in heaven. Yes, those are the things that we love now. But heaven isn't going to be about the superficial things that we love here on earth. Revelation tells us here that it's about one thing. Praising our God who is worthy of all our praise. Before the throne, the entirety of creation sings to the glory of God, and at which time the entirety of mankind falls down to worship him and give him all the glory. And when does this happen? Day and night, never, ever ceasing. So that's the God in the Father and the Spirit, receiving our praise, getting all the glory, But where is Jesus in this picture? Well, he comes next. I would have extended our reading from Revelation, but after liberation, I thought maybe 20 verses, as glorious as they are, were probably just a bit too much in one go. So we'll talk about those other 14 verses now. Let's get back to our picture. The Father on the throne, the Spirit before the throne, the creatures and the elders encircling the throne, worshipping God, and his glory. The next section reveals the next part of this picture. John notices that in God's right hand is a scroll, 
an angel asks, who is worthy to open it? And John writes that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look onto it. And I began to weep loudly. None of us is worthy, not even close, to open that scroll. But all was not lost. As an elder says to him, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And the next words are so important. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing between and among. Why between? Because The Lamb is our one and only link to God. Why among? Because he is God with us. Jesus, the final part of this Trinity picture, takes the scroll from the right hand of God for one reason, because he is the only one who is worthy to do so. And at this moment, the creatures and the elders look upon him and say, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then the creatures, elders and myriads of angels, sing a new song together, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. And then every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them cry out with one voice, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. There is a reason why I picked this reading for Trinity Sunday this morning. And that's because I think that nowhere else do you see such a picture of the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All together, and all receiving glory, praise, and honour that they deserve. As I said at the start, we can often get confused when we think about the Trinity. But that's only because we try to understand something that is impossible to understand. I cannot tell you how God can be three persons and yet one person all at once. But that's not important because nobody can tell you that. Only God knows how that's possible. In our culture, we've become more and more reluctant and Uh, more and more reliant and dependent, sorry, on so-called scientific facts. But any scientist worth his salt will tell you that scientific fact is only the best possible answer to a solution at that given time. There is only that one possible answer at any one time. And it's always changing. God is constant. God is forever. 
And he does not need you to try and prove his existence. He needs you to have faith. He doesn't need you to explain and prove the validity of the Trinity. He needs you to have faith. And what is the result of our faith? The glorious picture in Revelation. One of the Trinity. Something that will always be a great and marvellous mystery to us. Our second reading is from Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 9 and going through to verse 20. No one is righteous. What then? Are we any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This jar is going to be us for this moment. Now, during the week, and when, well, every day, we have to make choices. And we have to make choices about what's going to come first, and about what's most important to us. Now, I've got a couple of different things here to represent. Often what happens in our lives... is that all the different things that we do, the work that we do, whether it's school or whether it's work or whether it's things that you do by your own choice, all adds up. And there's so many little jobs. I bet some of you who have retired have thought that when you retired, surely you wouldn't have as much to do, that you'd be able to just relax at home a bit more, just do a few things around the house. But actually what you find out is that we still stay very, very busy. There's always something to do. There's always all of these little jobs. So I'm going to put those into us now, into our time. All those jobs. As well as that, there's something that's very important. I'll show you that if you can't quite see. The next thing that comes in is our family. Obviously so important, our family and our friends and those who are dear to us. But each one of those people does take up room, they take up time. Not saying that they're not worthy of being there, but they do take up room. And as we start to widen our circle of friends or as we start to increase our families, we start to realise 
that all of a sudden we filled up all our time already. And what's this last thing that comes in? Well, this is God. And so many of us, so often, we do all the jobs in our lives, we care for the people in our lives, and then God just becomes an afterthought, something we add on. But what we can see is that if we do that, God doesn't fit in, there isn't time, and we don't give him the glory and the honour that we just said he so rightly deserves. And when we just sung the hymn together just now, Love Divine, it's love divine, all love's uh, excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. Words we sung together, but it's never that simple for us, because we're human. We don't just accept what God has given us so freely. As we just talked about, we are so good, we are experts even at not putting God in his rightful place first in front of and before everything else in our lives. Now sometimes I'll stand up here and what I'm saying might just be relevant for one or two or half of you. But this is something that is relevant to every one of us, especially me as well. So hear this now. Don't sit there and zone out and think that this bit doesn't apply to you. Because you're different, you're more righteous than most. You give more time than anyone else you know to God. Because I know for a fact that everyone in here, including me, needs to listen. And that's one for one very simple reason. Because we're human. Paul says in our reading from Romans that all are under sin. None is righteous. No, not one. Not including Jesus because he is God. But there has never been a human that lived that did not sin. When we compare ourselves to the law that God has set before us, and yes, the law still applies to us, even if we're saved by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus said himself that he came to uphold the law, not to change it. When we compare ourselves to that law, we fall woefully short. And I mean not even close. I'm talking... Not about a photo finish here, but I'm talking Usain Bolt versus a snail. We are insufficient in and of ourselves to look upon the face of God and give him glory. We've talked earlier about how indescribable our God is. His glory, his presence, his very being is so awesome, and I mean that in the truest sense of the word, that anyone who looks upon him can have no other response than to fall down and worship him. And yet every single one of us will sin against that same God today. In fact, I could go so far as to say that every single one of us has already sinned against that God today before we even got to church. It's just got to be a split second of a thought or a feeling in your mind. It does not take us long. How easy it is to get distracted, to be thinking of other things when you have to, that you have to do whilst you're meant to be spending time with your Father. Whilst you sit there and pray or read the Bible, 
your mind wanders ahead to that big day at work you have coming up on Monday, to the test you have at school, what you're thinking you're going to choose to have for dinner, how you're going to sort out that problem, that spat you've had with your friend or your partner, or what fun things you're going to do later that day with the people that you love, and how the weather will affect those plans. So let me take you right back to what we were talking about earlier. When thinking about our idea of what heaven is, seeing loved ones, spending time with them and having fun with them, consuming an abundance of delicious food and drink, are we sure that the same things that distract us from God on earth will be the things that heaven will be full of? We don't just sin, we revel in our sin. We enjoy our sin and we are proud of it. What will it take for us to take in God, to take in what he's done for us? Our final reading comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. The Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Something that really struck me and really moved me in our last hymn was the way in which James Mounting shows our responses. Initially, I proudly answered, none of you and all of me. Then I said faintly, some of you and some of me. Then I whispered, more of you and less of me. And finally, I asked God to grant my spirit's longing, all of you and none of me. When we're in our sin, Unaware of what we're doing, we are proud, we are naive, and we are blinded by that, and we proudly say, none of you and all of me. Then when we see what God has done for us, when we see that our God, our glorious triune God, that we saw earlier in that awesome picture in Revelation, despite our sin and doubt and pride, he came down to earth, walked among us and then showed us his passion, his passivity, by allowing us to strip him, beat him, nail him to a cross and leave him there to hang. When we see the love that he showed us by still wanting to save souls whilst hanging there and still wanting to forgive those who were doing this to him when he was in unimaginable agony. When we see all this, hopefully, We are broken and we faintly turn and say, some of you. But also that's still not enough for me. That happened in the past. I want proof in my life now. Then when we do start to see God's mercy at work in our lives, when we see that love and grace at work, helping us through day by day, it starts to click into place more. 
We start to get it and we whisper, more of you. Notice how the voices are getting lower each time. The more we get it, the more we realize what has happened, what God has done and continues to do, the more broken we feel. Like when a child has done something wrong and has led to the headmaster's office, the head goes down, the hands become inseparable friends and the shoulders squeeze in as though in a vice and the voice becomes that of a mouse, tiny, timid, ashamed, repentant, repentant. But in that last verse, there is no word to describe the voice, and that's because there doesn't need to be any more. God knows your heart, and that is something that you've realized. And upon repenting, your heart is full of one clear, thundering message, all of you and none of me. Repentance is such a key step. Throwing yourself at God's feet and mercy and begging forgiveness. Realizing that you are not able to get there on your own and admitting to God that you need him and that without him you will achieve nothing. Realizing that he needs to come first. That he needs to come first. So what happens when we put God first? When we then think about the people around us, when we think about our family, our friends, those we love, and then we squeeze in those little jobs that are left over afterwards. There is room for it all. If we put it in the right order, if we put God first, the people around us second, and the jobs we have last, then we are complete and we are whole. In our reading from Matthew, we read that when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. There will always be some. Don't be one of them. Be part of that group who are worshipping him. Be part of that group who wave palm branches at him on Palm Sunday. Be part of the church who bring him offerings of praise and glory at every opportunity we can. I've said it before and I'll say it again because he is worthy and he deserves to come first. Be one of them for they are the group whom he talks to when he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. God has a job for you. He has a purpose for you. And he is calling you, every single one of you. Brothers and sisters, I know that some of you might think when I say that, well, you're young and... You've got a lot more years ahead of you to work out that calling than I do. But I have two answers for you. Firstly, you are not God. You do not know when he will take up each one of us. Even myself, tomorrow is not guaranteed for me. Let alone the next 50 years. Even the rest of today is not guaranteed. 
all the more reason to get to doing God's work while we can. And secondly, you do not know when, how or why God will call you and what for. He calls those of any age to do his will. Even if you're 100 and it's your last day, he will still have work for you to do. I hate to disappoint you, but you don't get to retire from doing God's work. He has a job, a purpose, a will for everyone in this room. He is calling, so what is our answer? My prayer this morning is that it's something like our next hymn. Whom shall I send, speaks the Lord. Here I am, Lord, we reply. Is it I, Lord? Eager, ready, willing. But we said before that we are insufficient in and of ourselves for this work. Well, that's when we need the last words of Jesus in our final reading. I am with you always to the end of the age. We know that we can be sufficient because Jesus is with us. God is watching over us and the Holy Spirit is within us. The Trinity in unity, sovereignty over humanity, humility with majesty, blessed Trinity for eternity. Amen and let's sing together.